If you have your Bibles, I want to direct your attention to an extremely familiar portion of Scripture found in the book of Matthew, the seventh chapter. And um, I am going to read one verse, verse 24, but to really understand the message and the totality of what uh, I would like to say tonight, it is imperative that you uh, go back and read chapter 5, chapter 6, and the first part of chapter 7. It is what we consider uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and it begins in chapter 5, the Beatitudes. There's um, perhaps some uh, disagreement among scholars as to whether this was one lengthy sermon or it was a compilation of the teachings of Christ to the people. Whatever the case, the Sermon on the Mount is the gospel in a nutshell. It is not salvation. It is what salvation produces in our lives. It's loving our enemies and doing good to those who uh, despitefully use us. It's praying um, and giving and fasting and hiding our treasure in the right place and uh, the golden rule, uh, treat others as you would have them treat you. And so many extremely valuable and powerful principles that are uh, found in uh, those previous verses. And he concludes the Sermon on the Mount with one of the most striking stories that uh, we find in Scripture. And it has to do with two men and the building of their house. And this is what verse 24 said. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, referring back to chapter 5, chapter 6, and the first portion of chapter 7. That's what he's talking about. He that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them. Everybody say doeth them. Come on. Everybody say it. Doeth them. You not only have to hear it, you've got to do it. And he that heareth these sayings and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And I want to use that tonight and I want to talk to you for just a few moments about deciding how the story ends. Deciding how the story ends. Now I will confess to you at the beginning of my message tonight that I have, I don't recall ever meeting anyone who set out in life to fail. I have met a lot of failures, but I've never met anybody that purposely set out to fail. And yet, there are many such lives around us, even among us. Some of us once were failures in certain areas of our life. 
And so tonight I want to address uh, a situation for all of us that could be of eternal value and eternal consequence. There are many things in life that we cannot control. There are many things in life that we cannot control. Number one, none of us controlled our birth. We had no power, no say-so, no influence on where we were born. We had no, we, we, we had no choice as to who our parents were. We had no decision in whether they would be good or bad, whether they would treat us right or wrong, whether they would raise us with principles or not. Many things in life that we have no control over. There are things that happen to us that we have no control over. There are many things that come to us that we cannot avoid, but we cannot control them either. The weather of life is not in our control. Uh, we, we, don't, we, we don't control whether a storm blows in tonight or tomorrow. We only have to deal with the storm. We don't choose whether or not it's going to rain today or tomorrow. We have to deal with whether it rains today or tomorrow. We don't get to choose whether it snows on Christmas or not. We just get to deal with the fact that it might, but it probably won't in this locale. There's just a lot about life that we have no control over. We have no control over many of the things that come into our lives, uh, situations, problems, being at the wrong place at the wrong time, being with the wrong people, uh, not starting out to be that or do that, but the end result uh, sometimes defy explanation. And it's hard to understand uh, how it all began. Where did the stories begin? How, how did we get where we are? And a lot of times it's because of things that come into our lives that we had no control over. Uh, many times people are abused in their life and they don't have a lot of control over that, especially if they're children or young people. There are many people that have been abused physically, sexually, mentally, uh, and they have not had a lot of control over that. There are storms that come. There are trials that come. There are tests that come. There are troubles and pressures that come to all of us that we have no control over. And Jesus, in our passage, refers back to things that had previously been taught in order for them to understand what he was about to say. And the things that he had previously taught had to do with life. How to live life. How to live it right. The Sermon on the Mount is a sermon of principles. Not a sermon of, uh, of, of uh, just this and that, but it is a message that is full of principles of life, principles of living, principles upon which 
you can build your life and the building of your life upon those principles will result in success. He deals with not only principles, but he speaks of priorities that must be a part of an individual's life. And now, he said, now that you know all these things, now that you have heard all of the principles, how, and you, you can go back to Gen, or, or Matthew 5 and, and begin with the Beatitudes and, and speak of the things that he referred to as being blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And he, de- he defines a way of life and a way of living. He said, if, if, if somebody asks you a coat, don't give them only your coat. Give them your cloak as well. If someone asks you to go a mile, be willing to go two miles. Don't, don't just go the necessary distance, but let your life be defined by something more. And then he makes a statement. If people do these things, and they do them because they know there is a blessing, how much more do you need to do what I'm telling you to add a dimension to your life that will put you over uh, on the winning side, so to speak. And so he talks to them and he said, now that you've heard all of these things and you've, I hope that you've listened to what I've said. Now, he said, you have to decide how the story is going to end. You not only have to decide, but you get to decide how this story ends. It doesn't matter what I've said before. If you don't take that to heart and you don't apply it to your life and you don't understand the way that I have defined and described, then you're going to miss something vitally important. But at this point, at the conclusion of this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus basically is telling us that we get to decide how the story ends. You may not have been able to decide how it began. And you may not have been able to decide certain things that have gone on in your life. But this point, that I'm talking about tonight, from this point to eternity, from this point to judgment, to this point to the end of life, you get to determine how the story is going to end. And you're going to decide that by the way you choose to build your life and the things upon which you choose to build your life. God said, I made a way. He said, not only have I made a way, he said, I have provided you landmarks. You know, it's a great thing to have landmarks because they help you navigate the passages of life. Matter of fact, when I'm giving people direction, I usually always give them a landmark because my directions, I think, are clear sometimes, but sometimes they're not as clear as we think they are. 
But I say to them, you know, when you turn right on 2351 and you go down about four miles or three miles to 518, you'll turn back left. Well, there's a lot of red lights between 2351 and 518. And if you don't know the area, you can make the wrong turn. But I said, when you get to 518, the way you're going to know you're at the right place, there's a Walgreens on the opposite corner and there's a Kroger that will be on your right. When you get there, you know it's time to turn left. God said, I've given you some landmarks. I've not only laid out the terrain. I've not only given you a path to walk. I've not only told you how your life can be lived to its fullest. But he said, I have provided landmarks so that you can know I'm doing the right thing. I'm being the right kind of person. And he spells out in simple form the principles that make life work. And not only make life work, but they make life work the best. They make life work at its ultimate. And if you'll do these things. And now he said, you have to decide how this story is going to end. Jesus closes the Sermon on the Mount with a beautiful comparison between two builders. What's interesting about these two builders is that they both recognize the need of building. They both realize the necessity of having something for the future. They were both alike in their resolve to get the job done. They both built and finished their building. They were no doubt equally skilled in building and they persevered and they finished the structure. But there was a difference in the outcome. There was a difference in the result, the end result. The differences in their houses were probably obvious. One probably built a lot quicker than the other one. But building quicker does not mean you're building better. One of them probably built with a lot less trouble than the other one. As a matter of fact, I know that he did because anybody that tries to build in the mountains has got to navigate some rugged terrain to get there. And a man who builds on the sand can just walk up to any river. Any river will work. Any location is good. So there was a difference in the amount of trouble that they encountered. And there was certainly a difference in what lay under the surface, what you could not see, what was the foundation. But they were both exposed to the same trials. They both had common experiences. They both had to face the storm. But what a difference the outcome was. One house stood and the other one fell. One endured and the other one came to an end. The finished result was strikingly different. And what Jesus was simply telling and teaching in this closing story of the Sermon on the Mount is this. That though you cannot control what happens to you, and you cannot choose what has come your way, you can decide 
how the story is going to end. You can decide how it's all going to end up. And it has to do with what you build on. And he called the man who built upon the rock a wise man, a prudent man, a man of sense and understanding. In this sense, that the wise man foresaw the future. The wise man looked down the road and realized one of these days this thing's coming to an end. One of these days my life is going to be over. One of these days I'm going to meet, I'm going to come to the end of my road. And he decided when he looked down the road, he said, you know what? I, I want to have a good ending to this thing. When I get to the end of my life, I want the best result possible. When I get to the conclusion of this thing, I want to know that I've done everything in my power to get the best result that I can get. And so he looked down the road and he proposes to himself the best possible end he could imagine. And that's why he chose to build on the rock. Because he wanted something that would last. He wanted something. It may not have gone up as quickly. It may not have been as easy. And it may not have been as fancy. I don't know. What I do know is he looked down the road. And he saw where he was going. And he said, you know what? I want this thing to end up right. I want to ask you tonight. All of you that are sitting here, every one of you sitting here, I want you to look down the road of your life right now. The way you're headed, are you going to like the end result if you keep going the way you're going? You've got an opportunity to alter that tonight. You've got an opportunity to make an adjustment tonight. And sometimes, you know one of the things that just astonishes me in, in dealing with people is that people do not tend to look down the road. All they're concerned with is, and I talked about this just a week or so ago, about right now. All, they can, all they're concerned about is right now, whether I'm happy or not, or whether this is right or not, or whether he's right or not, or she's. All we're concerned about is right now. And we don't look up and look down the road at what all of our actions are going to produce and, and and many times in scripture there is a, a there's a a word that God used over and over and over i dare you to go home and get a concordance out and look at, at how many times god said in his word consider now the word simply means stop and look and think about this situation don't just keep barreling through life without understanding that there is a result that's going to come to you one of these days and you may like it and you may not like it. And so he said, consider, stop and think about it. That's, that's something that we have an aversion to today. We don't want to stop and think about anything. 
We don't want to take the time to convert. As a matter of fact, more often than not, when I finally have to deal with somebody in their trouble, I ask them, what, how, how did this happen? How did you get in this mess that you're in? And you know, invariably what they tell me, Brother Hughes, I just wasn't thinking. How many times have you heard that? Well, I just wasn't thinking. And that's why the word said, stop, consider, listen, look, you're going somewhere. There's a destiny for every one of us. There's an end to all of our story. And the wonderful part of it, it is not predestined. I'm not predestined to be a loser. I'm not predestined to be a bankrupt person. I'm not predestined to be a drug addict or an alcoholic or a sexual pervert. I am not predestined to be a failure. I have the opportunity tonight by what I choose to do or I choose not to do to determine how the end of my story is going to be. And Jesus taught in this simple but profound story of a wise man who foresaw and he looked down the road and he said, you know what? I'm proposing for myself the best end possible. Look down the road of your life tonight. How's it all going to end up? If you keep going and doing and being and acting and talking and deciding in the way that you have been, what is the end result going to be? I've told people this many, many times. But there's a hell out there that's ten times worse than the hell you think you're in right now. And you better look down the road at what your actions are going to produce. Because you may not like what the outcome is. True wisdom consists in getting the building of our lives right. That's what true wisdom is. It is the building of our lives right. It is having our tempers, our lives, our wills conformed to the word of God and to his spirit. Looking down the road and seeing what the end is going to be like. And saying, you know what? I want a good end to this thing. I may be in a failing situation right now. As a matter of fact, I may be a failure right now, but that's not how I want my story to end. I may be in a failing situation right now, but that's not how I want my story. You know what? Some people have to make up their mind. You know what? This is not how this story is going to end. Somebody said, well, it's inevitable. It's going to happen anyway. No. The only thing inevitable is what you decide tonight and tomorrow and the next day to do in your life. And those decisions are the foundation upon which your house will stand or fall. Amen. And so he said you can determine. And true wisdom consists in getting the building of my life right. The passage illustrates that there are many shocks that come to life. As a matter of fact, there are three types of troubles that are referenced here. The trouble that comes from above, the trouble that comes from beneath, and the trouble that comes from around us. Those three type troubles can be typed easily to 
temporal things. The, the rain from above has to do with those things that we have no control over. Those temporal things of life. The changing seasons and the storms and the winds that come and go in life. And we have no control over them. The floods that rise up have to do with what comes from within us. Sometimes some of us don't need a devil to be bad. We just need ourselves. It's what comes from within that causes us trouble. And then he references the wind, the storm. That is what comes from around us. That would have to do with the realm of Satan. That would have to do with the realm of darkness. And it has to do with those Things that threaten us with an evil intent and with an evil desire. And he said those three things happen to both lives. They happen to everybody. Nobody builds a house to escape the storm. You build a house to endure the storm. Listen to me. Nobody is going to escape trouble in this life. Nobody. If I don't care who you are, I don't care... If you're married or unmarried, you are not going to escape trouble in your life. The building of my life doesn't have to do with me escaping something. It has to do with me surviving something. It has to do with me enduring. And only the soul that builds on the rock stands all of the shocks of life. How desirable then it is to be possessed of something. That the tempest cannot reach and the storm cannot shake. To have a foundation in my life that is of such a nature that nothing can tear it down. Nothing can destroy it. How do we prepare our lives for such an eventuality? By doing the will of God. He said, he that heareth and doeth these sayings shall be like a wise man who built his house upon a rock. How easy it is for us to learn religious vocabulary and even memorize Bible verses, religious songs, and yet not obey God's will. Some of us are not obeying Him right now. Oh, we know how to sing. We know how to raise our hands. We can quote scriptures. We know where the Bible passages are, but that doesn't mean that I'm doing the will of God. Not he that saith, but he that doeth. The test is not my words. The test is my obeying his command. Amen. Listen to me tonight. Listen very carefully to what I'm about to say. If you don't get anything else, please get what I'm about to tell you. Nothing, absolutely nothing, everybody say nothing. Nothing can prevent the fall of a house not built on a right foundation. Nothing. On the other hand, nothing can endanger the hope of a house that's built on the right foundation.
I want to say that again because I want it to sink into your mind. You listen to me tonight. Nothing can save you if you build on the wrong foundation. Nothing. Your friends, all of their counsel, Facebook, the government, nobody. Nothing can save you. Nothing can prevent the fall of a life or the fall of a house when it is built on the wrong foundation. And you know what it's been hard for me to realize through my years of pastoring is that there's some people that I cannot help because no matter what I try to say to them or try to do for them, they keep building on a wrong foundation. And it, it just, it's not going to work. On the other hand, if you build on the right foundation, there is no storm that can destroy that life. No storm. There is no wind. There is no passion from within that can tear down what is built on a right foundation. And we're going to face all three of those. The Bible speaks about the world, the flesh, the devil. Those are the three influences over our lives to try to turn us away from doing right and doing the will of God. Those are represented in that storm and the flood and the wind. And none of us are going to escape that. But we do get to choose how the story ends. I want to ask you tonight. Are you liking what you see down the road right now? If not, you have opportunity to change. I'm closing. How do you build a life that stands? How do you build a life that stands? First of all, it starts with an understanding of where and where not to build your house. Did you get that? There are some locations. I don't care how beautiful they are. I don't, I don't care how green that grass looks on the other side of the fence. It's just grass. And there's weeds there just as well. Start with an understanding of where and where not to build your house. And there's some places that you just don't want to build your house. There's some environments that you cannot build successfully in. Number two, in order to build to stand, you have to be willing to invest in the difficult to get the good that you desire. You know what really burns my toast? It's how easy we give up on stuff today. And we're not willing to invest in the difficult. Because that means we're going to have to work on ourselves. We're going to have to make adjustments on ourselves. And we don't. We would rather do that on somebody else. It's always somebody else's fault. We live in a no-fault world. That's why we have no-fault insurance. 
because nobody's ever at fault. How many people have ever jumped out of a car after having an accident and said, I did it, I caused it. Even the idiots that cause them jump out cursing and swearing and slinging and sling, and trying to act like you were distracted. You know. The fact is, if you're going to build something to stand, you've got to be willing to invest in the difficult. And building for eternity is a difficult task to do. It's not easy. It's not going to be easy. And you're going to have to be willing to invest in a lot of unseen things. You're going to have to be willing to invest in a lot of things that are not front page. You don't get to go through the church blowing the trumpet saying, Hey folks, this is what I've been doing all day. But you do it because you know that the outcome is going to be good. You do it because you know I'm going to like how the story ends. Number three, if you want to build something that will last, you cannot take any shortcuts. And if there's anything wrong with our world right now, is everybody is trying to get a shortcut to glory. They want a happy home without investing in the difficult things it takes to have a happy home. They want to blame somebody else at work because their job environment is not right. And they're not willing to invest in the difficult things to make that situation better. They complain about all the things that are against them and all the things that are not going for them and, and all the things. But they're not willing to do any of the difficult things to make their life better. It's easy to blame the system. It's easy to point a finger and say, well, it's not my fault. I, I didn't cause all this. You didn't cause it maybe, but you do have a choice on how the story is going to end. And you're never going to get what you desire by trying to take a shortcut. Never. And the tragedy is, no matter how you try to shortcut it, you are ultimately going to have to live in that house that you shortcutted. I read the story of a wealthy man whose daughter was... Was going to get married to this young man who was a builder. And so it's back early 1900s, late 1800s, he decided he was, he, he came to his future son in law and he said, Look, uh, he brought him plans for a house. He said, I want you to build this house for me. And he had all the specs, all the specifications. He said, We're going away. We're going to Europe for six months or so, or I forgot how long, but, but when we come back, I, I, I want this house to be finished. And so the young man, ready to impress his father-in-law, agreed to do that, or his future father-in-law, and so he takes the plans, and the father-in-law leaves town, and, and he starts building, and he starts thinking about all the money he could save, so he starts making all these shortcuts. He put cheaper material into the walls and cheap, cheaper material uh, in, into every area. He cut corners every place he could 
building it as cheaply and shoddily, but covering it up. You know, you, my, my dad used to say, you know, there's no about a bad trim work that an inch of caulk couldn't help. But that's kind of the way this guy built it. It was just like, oh, that's all right. It, you know, it's got an inch gap. That's all right. We'll fill it in. And when it was all said and done, father-in-law came back home and this guy was so proud on the outside, it looked magnificent. All the physical structure, all the, the detail work looked just perfect. And he walked in and showed him he was so proud of what he had done. And when he got through, the father-in-law turned and handed the keys back to the man and said, this is my gift to you and my daughter for your wedding. And now you get to live in what you built. That's what this story is about. You're not going to shortcut anything and get the result that you want. You're not going to beat the system. Remember what I told you? There, there ain't no free lunch. You're just not going to beat the system. So quit trying to take the shortcut. Go ahead and be willing to commit to some hard things. Do the difficult things. And I promise you, you'll love the outcome. Let's stand together.